Hey folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today we have a very special episode. If you're able to scroll all the way back, which I am not on Spotify, to episode number one, I interviewed this really cool guy. His name was Dr. Jack Singer. And some of the teachings that he had were invaluable. And to this day, four years later, I still wear a rubber band around my wrist. Please enjoy. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. He has an extraordinarily amazing career path, started as a professional psychologist, spent 33 years empowering elite athletes at the highest level. He's been highlighted on the likes of CNN, MSNBC, Fox, and ESPN. Then came 2008. He was approached by the financial industry to transfer his expertise in peak performance to guide financial advisors and professionals to perform at their highest professional. Wow. Sign me up. Now he is absolutely crashing the internet with his advising the advisor platform and all the priceless principles and concepts incorporated, but also with his new online course, Develop the Mindset of a Champion. Folks, meet Dr. Jack Singer. Dr. Jack, it's, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Mark, that's probably the most dynamic introduction <laughs> I've ever had. You are fabulous. Well, that you're was a great. dynamic I guy. Love- I spent a little bit of time uh, <laughs> surfing the internet on you. And I was, I was very, very impressed. And of course, I'm going to li- give you an extra little kudos since we're fellow UMass alum. Yeah. When I saw that, I was immediately attracted to your site as well. <laughs> and we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to give all the support we can to my buddy, Matt McCall, right? UMass ha- basketball is on its way back for sure. It's on its way back. He's got, you know, a big learning curve, but he's got a bunch of guys on the bench that are watching and learning and next year ought to be unbelievable. I can't wait. I think he's bringing the prominence. I think we're going to come back to the final four again, officially. There you go. There so you let go. me ask you for our listeners, I know that you've got privacy restrictions, but can you tell us a little bit about your former life and the clients that you served back uh, prior to jumping into the financial advisor world? Sure. It's not totally former. For example, I have one of the figure skaters in the Olympics right now. So it's not totally former. (laughs) Um, Yes. So I had spent 30 years, more than 30 years working with elite athletes, Olympic gold medal winners, professional football players, you name it, you name the sport. And I worked with them. Uh, It was such a pleasure because frankly, I was never an athlete. I always admired athletes and said that, you know, I want to see what I can do to help them. And when I found out there was a specialty in psychology called sports psychology, you know, I was buying in immediately. So that was a wonderful career. Um, I do have some stragglers that I'm still working with. People occasionally try to find me, and I may work with them depending on the time I have. But a wonderful career. Interestingly, for example, uh, you're a New New England Patriots fan, so after the Patriots – came back last year after being down by over 20 points at halftime. I wrote a big article on how financial advisors can develop the mindset of Tom Brady, for example. So I, yeah, so I've used a lot of analogies and metaphors from sports with financial professionals because 
The same blueprint applies. Many financial professionals were in sports before, even if they weren't, Mark. Um, they can identify with this when I talk to them about how they can unleash the true champion that lies within all of them. You had an amazing career as a sports psychologist, and then you were approached in 2008 and asked, can you transfer those skill sets to the financial world? Yeah, what happened was the, uh, the head of the Australian Financial Advisors Association called me out of the blue, said he had read some of my articles online on stress mastery because I've written you know, more than 100 articles on stress mastery, which is one of my areas of expertise. And in 2008, you remember what was happening in the financial industry. And to add uh, insult to injury, he said the government of Australia was also mandating fee for service. So no more blind commissions and things like that. And his advisors were ready to jump off cliffs like lemmings. So he said, can you do anything to help my advisors? And I said, I don't see why not. So I started researching the field of financial services professionals and had an epiphany. And the epiphany was, hey, I can do the same thing with them that I've been doing with athletes. And it looks like there's a big need and there aren't any other psychologists I can find who are working with them this way. So that's really what led to me shifting and pivoting my career. And it also led to me writing the book, The Financial Advisor's Ultimate Stress Mastery Guide. Got it. Wow. That's amazing because the ability to pivot like that in your career, not many people, A, are able to do that, but B, willing to do that. Was there a lot of learning that you had to do to understand their industry and the space that they're living in? Yeah, there was. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, people are people. And I'm an expert at understanding people and how to help them. So that part was there already. I just needed to understand what their particular stressors were. And, uh, and in order to do that, I engaged a few advisors as a mentor to learn more about where their stress points are, what keeps them up at night, what are they worried about, and really got a pretty good education there. Found out, again, very similar to an elite athlete, what differentiates the champion from the, the athlete who's good. And so a lot of my advisors make enough money. They're doing well enough to make enough money. My advisors are clients, as I'm saying. Correct. But the problem is that the side effects that come with it are overwhelming. Like, you know, several advisors had told me, you know, I make enough money, but I, you know, I'm a slave to my office. I can't take the day off. I hate Sunday nights because I have to go back into the office again. I'm not getting any sleep. My wife is complaining. So I began to realize that these stressors are causing the same kinds of problems for advisors that our athletes have, and I can teach them how to overcome them. So in your opinion, what's the number one fear that these financial advisors must overcome in order to succeed? Well, this is interesting, Mark, because even if they're very successful, the fear that's subconscious and usually can't identify it. When I, when I give a speech and mention this, all of a sudden everybody looks up <laughs> because yeah. it applies to them. And this is called the imposter fear. Got it. What this really means is that in their heart of hearts, they believe that their families, their mentors, their supervisors, their colleagues, all of these people have a much better idea or an inflated idea of their value than they have themselves. So if we were to use a poker uh, analogy, it's like, you know, your mentor in your firm or your boss in your firm thinks you're a royal flush when underneath you feel like a pair of sixes and it's only a matter of time before you're going to be exposed. Is it kind of like success guilt also? 
yeah, success guilt, not guilt, but success mistake. Okay. It's like I'm successful by accident here. Okay. And I was in the right place at the right time, or I was lucky, and it's only a matter of time before I lose it all. But I really don't know all that much, and these people think I know way more than I actually do know. Right. Interesting. Right. And that just comes from their distorted thinking, which gives me a clue as to the way they think. But you brought up something that's fascinating that I haven't really talked about on other podcasts, and that's success guilt. You know, success guilt is there are some people I've run into over the years who sabotage themselves unconsciously because they don't want to make that much money for a variety of reasons. And if you have a minute, I'd like to give you a sports metaphor with that. Can I do that? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So I was working with a professional female golfer and she came to see me because even though she'd been on the tour for 14 years and was very successful in the last six or eight months, she would always miss the cut on Thursday by like one stroke, maybe two at the most. And on Thursday, if you make the cut, you're in the money somewhere. Yep. So she was always missing the cut and would, couldn't be in the money. And she couldn't understand what was happening. Well, after examining her and talking to her and getting some in-depth stuff that she didn't think was related, I discovered that one of her brothers was the manager of her money. And he was blowing a lot of it on himself. And she wasn't assertive enough to stand up to him. And she was worried that if she did, her parents would be mad at her. So every time she got a paycheck, she knew that he was taking some of that money. Uh Subconsciously then, she started sabotaging herself so she wouldn't get a paycheck. Oh, my goodness. So I saw online yesterday while I was looking at some of your unbelievable content. By the way, folks, there's a a ton of of beautiful and free content online with Dr. Jack has put out there for us. But you talk about assertive training. Is that what you ended up doing with this golfer is to help her assert herself? Yes, I did. And I really said this brother issue, if you can't get it straightened out, it's going to end your career. Is that worth it to you? And then how will you explain all this to your parents who are getting aggravated because you're not making a cut, but you can't really explain why. Right. So you have to be assertive with your parents and your brother. And so, yes, we did uh, assertiveness training and I taught her how to stand up for herself and remove the money, give it to a money manager who was not in the family, someone who could invest it. I told her to do it with a financial professional, actually. And then she started playing better? Right. It took all of that away. That's amazing. It's amazing to me the quiet, secret fears inside a competitive killer. I mean, short of being an elite athlete, you would think that they have these killer instincts that they would stand up to anybody. But in truth, everybody has simple little limiting fears. Let me tell you a quick story. You know this, um, the fighting in a cage. I always forget the initials where the people fight in a circular cage oh, yeah, and it's kicking yeah. it. The, ca- the octagon cage matches, the U- UFC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. UFC. One day, I, had, I didn't know much about that sport. I hadn't really watched it. And one day in my office comes a former world champion, world heavyweight champion who had kind of lost his edge and wanted to win the world championship back. And I, I take one look at this unbelievable specimen of a human being. I yeah. mean, he's in fantastic shape. It looks very scary, but a <laughs> wonderful guy. And I said, I'm going to hypnotize you and do all kinds of things to help you get this back. But the reason I'm bringing it up is when I asked him what kinds of things get him angry, one of them was that one of his relatives borrowed some money from him, a large sum, 
and he's afraid to ask for it back. (laughs) And he said, it gets me angry and I can't deal with it. And I then discovered that he lets people take tremendous advantage of him, including his managers, coaches. He would just literally give them the checkbook and let them write the check. And he couldn't stand up for himself. So that was another fascinating observation. Here's a guy who looks like he's got the world by the tail and he was a world champion, but yet in his personal life, he's a pussycat. Amazing. So did he make a a comeback after uh, the hypnosis? He did. He did. He he did make a comeback, but, but he did have uh, a couple of issues because this was such a sweet man that if in a national event on national TV, if he really didn't think he won, even though the referee would raise his hand, he'd pull it back again and say, no, he won. And really? you can imagine how crazy that made his manager. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he was a real, really sweet guy who didn't want to take credit for something he didn't believe he did. So we and had he, to work on that as well. And his sport is so barbaric. Yeah, right. Okay. So some of the other things that I saw when I was doing my due diligence with you, Doc, is you write about what I found really amazing and I want to talk to our listeners about it is the internal critic. What exactly do you mean by the internal critic? Okay, well, I coined that term, even though someone else may have used it by now, but I wrote a book many years ago called Conquering Your Internal Critic So You Can Sing Your Own Song. I thought it was cute since my name is Singer, but you know, no one seemed <laughs> to think it was cute. But anyway, anyway, the internal critic is that little voice that we all have within us, Mark, that about 77% of the time, according to research, feeds us negative information. 77% 77. of the time? 77. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. You can't do this. You won't be able to do this. What if this happens? What if, for example, are the two worst words ever put together in the English language because they're always followed by something negative. So you say, what if your body goes into shock, ready for something bad coming after that? Or you say, I hope I don't. It's the same kind of problem. Um, so for athletes, this internal critic can take place in many forms. One of them, let's take a golfer, for example, yeah. hits the ball into the water and typically says after that, I hope I don't hit it in the water again. That internal critic has now set you up to hit it in the water again, because interestingly, and I can't explain this, it takes a neuroscientist to explain this, but our subconscious mind doesn't register the negative words. It just registers the rest of the message. Right. So if you say, I hope I don't hit the ball into the water, it registered as I hope I hit the ball into the water. Well, that, that's the law so of attraction, people, right? Yeah. And yeah. people don't really get that until it's explained to them. So the internal critic uh, is really not your friend at all. No. And I teach people how to replace it with a very healthy uh, little voice inside your head. And the kind of language that I use to explain this these days is that your mind is filled with linguistic toxicity, poisonous self-talk that goes through our mind all day. And we want to replace it with linguistic nutrition, healthy, enriching self-talk. So a lot of what I do in my workshops and my consulting with financial advisors is teach them how to make that switch, how to get rid of the habits of toxic self-talk and switch it to healthy self-talk. So how do we do that? It's amazing, Mark, but well, it's hard to explain in two minutes, but (laughs) it's a a habitual change. Okay. It's a habitual change that has to take place over practice because these people have practiced from the time they're very young with the negative self-talk. So the first part is recognizing these trigger thoughts that you go through your mind. 
So a trigger thought for a financial advisor might be, uh, I'm worried that this client I have is going to fire me. Okay. So that would be a trigger thought. Yeah. Uh, once, instead of going into, you know, panic mode when they think that, when they're talking to me, now they learn, okay, well, this is a good example for me to learn how to deal with this. So the first thing you want to do is you want to stop that thought from continuing to fester inside your subconscious mind. And the way I have people do that is I have them wearing a number 64 rubber band. So to put that into layman's terms, a 64 rubber band, which is the number on it if you bought it in the store, okay. it's, the, it's the rubber band that comes in your mail. So you can get them for free just by taking them off the mail. Yeah. This rubber band is kind of a fat rubber band. It sits loosely on your wrist. And I tell people the first thing you want to do is snap that rubber band loud enough to get your attention and stop that thought dead in its tracks. Snap it on your wrist. Snap kind of, it on your wrist. Kind of punish yourself for thinking it. You do. And you have to set your subconscious mind for eventually not wanting to get another snap like Pavlov's dogs. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So you, you don't want, you don't want to get another snap. So your, your subconscious mind eventually will stop the thinking. And then you replace that thought with rational thinking right away. Like what's the worst that can happen? Maybe this client is called complaining, you know, a hundred times and hasn't quit me. Or maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if the client quits right. me because this client has caused me so much stress. Right. So actually, I have a chapter in my book on the 10 most toxic types of clients and how to get rid of them. And I can't tell you how many advisors have told me that that has made their lives. First, they were afraid to get rid of them because the money that they were making uh, handling their accounts. But then they realized that the pressure that was reduced was so dramatic that they had the energy to go out and replace them with five new clients. Funny that you bring that up. I just did a, an Anchor cast. So Anchor, I don't know if you're familiar with it, is a, a new platform, software platform for podcasting do-it-yourselfers, if you will. You can do it from your phone. Okay. And we've been doing these little okay. five to seven minute, uh, basically discussions on different topics. And the, I just did one this weekend on fire your client and how liberating- no kidding actually be to fire a client and wow. when you're young and you're scared and you're thinking more on a scarcity level than an abundant level it's hard to do that but once you are able to do it it's a life changer and and you're right you end up getting five new better clients and it's Pareto's principle, right. right you start I, spending too much right. time on too few clients you're it's a losing model okay jack what we like to do on our podcast is we like to get to know our guest a little bit so one of the questions that I like to ask, and you might have to paint the picture and, and visualize where we're at. You're at an event, could be a work party, could be a family gathering, it could be a sales uh, rally, but the event is karaoke and nobody's getting out alive without singing their karaoke song. What is your go-to song that you're going to sing when the mic is handed to you? Well, because I'm a man of the 60s, believe yeah. it or not, Johnny Mathis was my favorite singer, and Chances Are was my favorite song. Oh, I love it. Johnny Mathis. I remember seeing eight-track tapes of Johnny Mathis all over my house. Johnny Mathis, a lot of people don't know, was a wonderful athlete at the Berkeley, uh, University of California at Berkeley. He was the track star. Oh, is that right? Uh, and a, yes, and a fabulous singer. And of course, you sing songs like that, and it brings you back to the days when you, you know, you were courting young women and everything, and parked in a car with that music on. So, it brings back a lot of very pleasing memories to wave over my brain. 
so that I no longer have to think about the toxic things I may have been thinking about right before that. That's right. The <laughs> internal critic gets smushed because you're there and everybody's sitting right. along with you, looking up at you, having a great time. How about right. your favorite book, Dr. Jack? Well, my favorite book is a book that, uh, I mean, I have a lot of favorites and they're all in the field of psychology. And one of the weaknesses I have is I, I almost never read fiction. I only like true stuff and I almost never read anything other than psychology books. And the reason for that is I always said to myself, if you have the time to read, you might as well read something that's going to help you in your right. career. <laughs> so my favorite book is called Mindset. And that's a book that really the, the woman who wrote it coined the term mindset. And um, she's still teaching at Stanford, I believe. And it really introduced everybody to the concept of how our mindset determines our performance in any area that we want and how that happens. And one of the key elements of that book is to show you that most people think that your mindset is set in your DNA, that you're hardwired with a mindset, but it really isn't true. You can modify it. And that my whole career is based on helping people modify their mindset. Right. Okay, cool. That's I can see that being very impactful for you then with a lot of the titles that you're working with as well. Now, in your travels, Dr. Jack, are you seeing the financial advisors having success with networking? There's no question. And, and there's also something that you may or may not have heard of. Have you ever heard of family centers? No. Tell me about that. Okay. So family centers are where very wealthy families have a core of these people surrounding them and they have frequent meetings and they do all of their business and everything they're doing through these centers. And the reason I know about it is somebody from family who runs the association asked me to speak for them. I've um, heard of, uh, they call them family offices up here. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. You're right. It's family office, okay. family office, my Got mistake, it. family office. Yeah. And so with you know, I asked them, well, who's in that family office besides the family? Well, it's the financial advisor, it's yep. the various attorneys that are necessary, it's the CPA, exactly what you're talking about. So your formula for success has really taken on, especially with these very wealthy families who see it as a wonderful means of continuing their success. Now, how about you? You're a busy, successful guy traveling. I know you just got back from a speaker series late last night. Do you have a team that you lean on and rely on? Yes. Part of my speaking tour recently was to California, Southern California, okay. which is where I lived before I moved. And so while I was there speaking for a major financial advisor company, it's called Raymond James. I was speaking to yep. them. I know that. While I was there, I met with my financial advisor, my attorney, and my accountant. And I had them all in the same room so Fantastic. that we could plan you know, what I was going to do down the road and how I was going to do it and so forth. And they work well together? Oh, they work as a team together very well. In fact, many financial advisors, you probably know this, many financial advisors do that as part of their practice. They want to surround themselves so that they can provide their clients with someone they recommend in the legal field or in the estate planning field or trust attorneys and CPAs and all of those people that you're talking about. Many financial advisors that I know of offer these services where they will say to their clients, if you would like to have this team working for you, we can arrange for that. That's great. I appreciate you. But back to the financial advisors, if you were to say, what would be the simple success 
or failure formula for an advisor client and how would you implement that with somebody? Okay, so here's the formula. A person's performance at any time, and that can be athletic, it can be what you do, it can be what I do, it can be a financial advisor, whatever performance you want. Performance equals talent plus experience plus knowledge minus distractions. And the minus distractions are the key problem. If you have no distractions, and I'll explain what the distractions are in a second. If you have no distractions, then your talent will always show in your performance. If you have a lot of distractions, it will be watered down, which is the same reason why you can have two athletes who have essentially the same talent, same technique, the same experience, but one performs at peak levels and the other one doesn't because the second one has distractions. And the number one distraction is the internal critic and allowing that to continue unabated. That's the key. So it all comes back to understanding the internal critic and understanding what to do about it. This comes into something we will talk about, which is how do you produce mental toughness to overcome the internal critic and remove those distractions and those distortions. And well, that's what we can talk about later, but you were going to ask something important. Yeah, we, I definitely want to get to that. So with the internal critic, where do these thoughts come from? Like when do they start? Why are they coming? And again, we talked about how to get rid of them earlier with your step process, but, but why are they coming? Where are they coming from? They're coming from, what I call iceberg core beliefs. And they're called iceberg beliefs because we're only aware of a little bit on the surface. Most of it is unconscious until it gets identified. So these are beliefs that were instilled in us when we were very young by well-meaning but misinformed parents, teachers, and other people. Let me give you some examples of an iceberg core belief. Don't make waves, stay under the radar. Don't draw any unfortunate attention to yourself because that'll cause problems. Well, someone growing up with that kind of belief system will never assert themselves. They won't have social skills that they need because they think that that's keeping them safe. Another iceberg core belief that's toxic is avoid confrontations at all costs. Another one is don't take risks. You know, you'll lose if you take risks. Right. Uh, Another one is if I'm not perfect, I'm a failure. And that leads people to the struggle for perfectionism, which is an exercise in futility because no one can be perfect. No. And many financial advisors have what I call in the book a type A personality. And part of that is the struggle for perfection. And if they make a mistake, they beat themselves up for it. Or if they lose a client, they go into a depression. I mean, this is all or nothing perfectionistic kind of thinking, which is toxic. So these are some of the sources of this that started when we were very young. So somebody's planting these seeds into the child's head. For the financial advisors and other professionals listening who have little children, what do you recommend they do to try to avoid those limiting statements or those fearful statements? It's fascinating to me that you use that phrase, planting the seeds, because in my speeches, that's what I talk about. The mentor that taught me everything I know about sports hypnosis a sports psychologist who was into hypnosis used to say that the subconscious mind is like a beautiful garden that when the child is born, it's filled with flowers. But as the child starts to get older, parents and other people who think they're doing the child a favor start planting weeds in that garden. And then if they plant enough weeds, as the child becomes an adolescent and young adult, 
they water and fertilize those weeds by continuing to say the same negative things to themselves that these people said. Uh. So, for example, well-meaning parents often say things like, oh, you're trying out for the football team? You know, son, I don't want you to get embarrassed. I've seen some of the players on the team. You just don't have that kind of skill. Right. Or you want to be a homecoming queen or in her court? Well, dear, um, did you know that Sally Jones is trying out and all of her friends and you know, I don't want them to tease you or you'll be uncomfortable. So well-meaning parents plant negative toxic seeds of failure in our heads. Instead of saying, you can be anything you want to be. You may not have the physical attributes that you need, but you can develop them. So if that's what you want to do, you go for it. And I'm behind you 100%. That's amazing. That's so helpful. I hope uh, our listeners are paying attention to that, that uh, advice right there. One of the wonderful things that you focus on is mental toughness. I know we touched on that earlier. I saw some of the, the free content that you put online, but you have a five steps to mental toughness. Can you break that down for our listeners? Yeah, actually, I'm going to give you two more steps and make it a seven step. Oh, today okay. Because I've added, some things, I've added some things to it, okay? Just for you, Mark. All right. So we're going to, okay. we're going to be the exclusive so, to start this out. Let's go. So whenever you're stressed, worried, pressured, anxious, have negative thoughts, this method, which can take less than five minutes, I've been told by professional football players, works for them better than anything else they do in the locker room before a game. All right. So first you have to recognize your stress-producing negative trigger thoughts. And I gave you an example. I'm worried that you know my secretary said this client is on the phone. I'm worried the client's going to yell at me or fire me. So step number two is snapping that rubber band and stopping the thought quickly. And if it doesn't stop, you have to keep snapping. And finally, when you stop it, you take a few deep centering breaths. And by that, I mean the kind of breathing that athletes, singers, professional singers, and professional musicians do, which is diaphragmatic breathing through your diaphragm. And the way you do that is you take a deep breath in through your nose to the count of four. You hold it for four seconds and then a big exhale out your mouth to the count of seven. That's breathing through your diaphragm. And the way you'll know that you're doing that is if you keep your hands folded over your tummy, when you breathe in, your hand should expand out with your stomach. And when you breathe out, your hand should come in. Most people don't breathe that way and their hands don't move. It's all their shoulders that's moving. And that's shallow breathing, which is causing stress. So that's a good way to train yourself to breathe in a relaxing way. Now, step four is having a performance statement that you can repeat to yourself at this time. And a performance statement is, if you said to yourself, for example, if you were an athlete, it's 30 seconds before I go in for the most important game of my life, what would be the words of wisdom my coach would tell me? So for a a financial advisor, my best mentor that I ever had in the financial services field, what would that person tell me right before I go in to engage a very important client? You know, some things that financial advisors have come up with whom I've worked with have been Uh, I have the best interest of my clients always at the top of my game, and I will go to any extent to make sure that I get for them exactly what they need to solve their problem or to take away their fears of what could happen with their financial circumstances if they live long, for example. So that's the performance statement. Number five, recall the greatest success you've ever had. I call it a personal highlight reel. Uh, like a videotape is playing in your mind now of the greatest success you've had as a financial professional. 
And the reason this is important is because so many of us linger with disasters that we've had. Like in all of my speaking career, Mark, I've had one disaster where the speech was given in Las Vegas. It was a construction company. All they wanted to do is get to the tables. And finally, somebody said, can you please just finish so we can get the hell out of here? <laughs> now, that was, the, that was the one disaster I've had in my whole career of speaking. But if I'm not careful, that will always resonate with me. Right. What we want to do, because negative things resonate a thousand times more rapidly than positive things in our mind. So what we want to do is force ourselves to remember the greatest highlight we've had, almost as if it's a video, thinking about every in as much detail as you can. I gave a workshop for new clients. Four of them came up to me afterward and said, this sounds great. You're different than any advisor I heard before. When do I sign up? I mean, whatever the case may be. So that is step five. Now, step six is repeating your identity statement. Now, what is an identity statement? This is a strength that you currently have, or if you don't have it now, you want to have it. And what objectives do you ultimately want to accomplish? And you frame both parts of these objectives as if they've already been achieved. So for an athlete, let's say a baseball player. And for us, it would be a Red Sox player. So let's say a Red Sox baseball player says to himself, I am the hardest worker on this team. My work ethic pushes me forward so that I am definitely going to be on the all-star team. And eventually, I will be in the Hall of Fame. Now, a lot of people would shudder at that statement saying, how immodest and grotesque, but this really works. You've got to give yourself the best opportunity you can to get your subconscious mind thinking along those lines. So for a financial advisor, you know, the identity statement, one that I heard recently that was great was every day on my way to work, I go through a strategy of exactly how I'm going to deal with the clients today because I know exactly what to do to put them in positions that will enhance their wealth dramatically. I will eventually be recognized as the highest producer in my firm, and I'll be recognized at national conventions for my firm as well. That's an identity statement. And we anchor the whole thing, step seven, with another centering breath. It's like, almost like, oh, this was great. And you can do this whole thing in five minutes. You can do it in your car. You can do it at home if uh, you have an argument with your teenage child or something. You can do it any time a triggering thought sets you off. And this is, you know, I went to college and graduate school for a total of 13 years with all of the training I have. But this is probably the best little five-minute deal that I've ever heard about. So we're calling this now the seven steps to mental toughness. And to recap right. for our listeners, number one is simply to recognize it, right? Two is right. to snap the, yourself out of it with the rubber band, if you will. Three is to use your centering breath or your lion's breath, as the yogis call it. Then you're going to have number four is your, what what type of statement? Performance statement. Performance statement. Performance statement. Like, Like, what do you have to do to perform your best right now? Got it. And then you recall your greatest success. You put the Las Vegas one completely in the trash to never, never be seen again. But your, your best then you repeat your identity statement. That's your affirmation, right. really. Right? Where you really talk about, yeah, your affirmation of what makes you tick as a wonderful financial uh, advisor and why are clients going to resonate with everything you say. New prospects are going to come to you because they know that you are the person who's going to help them have peace of mind 
and all of their uh, legacy have peace of mind as well. Got it. And then you close it out with another centering breath. Right. That's amazing. That's food for thought right there. I think that's, uh, that's enough for our listeners right there in and of itself. I love it. And thank you for that. I'm going to put that in our show notes as well, folks, so that you can see that in black and white. Dr. Jack, do you think we have some time to talk about your, your speaking engagements and, uh, and why they call you the fun speaker? Sure. Well, because I give away prizes, I make jokes, I let them have a good time because there's a lot of research uh, that uh, has been written that shows that if people are laughing, they'll be riveted to the conversation and also their retention will be much better. So I never use PowerPoint. I don't stand behind a podium. I mingle in the audience as I'm talking yeah. and I make it fun for everyone. I used to give away funny prizes like clown noses and everything, but I've, I give away more expensive prizes now, like my <laughs> hypnotic recordings, my books and things like that. I yeah. think that's more beneficial yeah. for people. Uh, so it makes it very interesting. So I do keynote speeches and I do half day and full day workshops on stress mastery or whatever they might want and how to develop the mindset of a champion. And the other thing that I do that I think your listeners will find very interesting is um, client events. Uh, Financial advisors always have a client event a few times a year. It's usually a a yawner, you know, a chicken dinner. You're hoping that your clients will bring some guests with them who may want to sign on. And you're going to talk a bit about products that you peddled to them. Or you maybe you'll have a guest speaker who will talk about the economy or something. Most of it is boring. I developed the program for financial advisors. And the title of it is how to live much longer than your kids hoped you would. So that's a very humorous title with a serious subject. It's really the psychology of life extension. All of the tips that are known through all of the research on how you can extend your life and make your current life as joyful as possible and as happy as possible. So who wouldn't want to come and hear that? So it's a win-win-win situation. The typical scenario is the room is packed. There are many, many guests there, and a typical guest will say to him or herself about the client that invited them, you mean your financial advisor has paid for a nationally known psychologist to fly across country to teach the clients how to live better and longer and healthier? My advisor never does anything like that. Right. Maybe I need to rethink who's handling my you know, finances. So right. it's a win-win-win, and the advisors who have hired me to do that have told me that the fee they pay me has quadrupled. Uh, in terms of the fees that they attained from the new clients that came out of that meeting. Oh, that's great. So you have couch will travel. Right. I will travel. So I and saw... the more often I can get to New England, the better. <laughs> yes. And you and the laughter. I mean, just to touch on that briefly before we, we, we say our goodbyes here, you see the laughter from a psychology aspect as very, very important, right? It's critically important. It's critically important. And to give you sort of a secret, when I was at the University of Massachusetts, my major was psychology, but my minor was theater. And my goal actually, Mark, was I wanted to become a stand-up comic. Interesting. (laughs) And um, after I got through my master's program and I was accepted to a PhD program, I landed a small role in one of Lucille Ball's shows called Here's Lucy. Really? And during the breaks, yeah, during the breaks in that show, I told her that my goal was to go to Hollywood and become a comedic actor. She said, you mean you have a master's degree in psychology and you've been accepted to a PhD program and you want to be a comic? I said, (laughs) yeah. So she ripped me a new one and told me I was out of my mind. She said, comics are a dime a dozen. You've got lightning in a bottle here. Don't waste it. 
So she convinced me to just go and get my PhD and my postdoctorate. And it wasn't until I discovered professional speaking that I recognized that I can actually have a captive audience and capture what I always wanted to do and bring humor to it, but give them some meat to go with it in terms of all of my knowledge and experience. So that's the short story. That's fantastic. So if some of our listeners are really interested in getting together with you and talking to you and and maybe uh, engaging with you, uh, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find your course, Develop a Mindset of a Champion? What would you recommend they do? First of all, this course, I can get them twelve continue, a voucher for 12 continuing education credits. So the course oh. expands upon what we've talked about dramatically because it's everything I know and it's based on my book. Uh, it's six modules and they can take it at their leisure for as long as they want, as many times as they want without any extra charge. All they have to do to learn more about it is to go to www.developthemindsetofachampion.com or I will offer any of your listeners with any question, including questions about the course or any personal question, a free 20-minute consultation with me on the phone. My number is 949-481-5660 and I'm on East Coast time. And um, if they want to learn more about what I do, they can go to www.advisingtheadvisors.com or specifically about my speaking uh, topics, they can go to www.drjacksinger.com. So that pretty much covers everything. Well, Dr. Jack, I appreciate it. I know you were uh, traveling and you had your speaking engagements and you were able to get up and uh, do this podcast with us. We really, really appreciate it. I hope that we can get you back on because I know that we only scratch the surface on some of the stuff that you're out there teaching. You know, Mark, I want to tell you something. You could get me on any time and I'll tell you why. <laughs> you are one of the best interviewers I've ever had. I do podcasts and webinars all the time. And frankly, I can tell that most of the people who are asking me questions are too busy reading what the next question is. They don't even listen to the answer. Um, same as when you're interviewed on TV, by the way. The person who asks you the question, the camera goes off that person. They're reading their notes for the next question. They couldn't care less what your answer is. But that's not the case with you. You have absorbed everything I've said. You've asked questions related to what I just told you. You found it very informative, and you're exactly the kind of person I'd love to be interviewed with anytime, Mark. Well, I, I, I really, really appreciate that. If you could see me, I'm, I'm, I'm flushing red right now. I do appreciate that. I love the topic. I love deep diving with folks like you. And Dr. Jack, I'm going to take you up on it. We are definitely going to get you back on, uh, hopefully sooner than later. And I will be looking out for you on the speaking circuit. I hope to see you out there soon. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own. And their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. 
please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.